I still felt very blessed by my life. And that really helped me through all the things that I went through. And, you know, I'll give away the ending. I made it, you know, um, so <laughs> I did make it through and I graduated in the top 10 of my class. I got a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon University. Um, and the coolest thing was my last chemo was one week before I started college. So it was like this new start, new freedom, wow. uh, very exciting. And I was considered in remission at the time. Now, remission for autoimmune disease does not mean you don't have an illness. Uh, I still very much had an illness, but I was stable. It kind of means you're not currently dying from this disease. And so um, my kidneys were stable. I still had uh, protein loss in my urine, which is a sign of kidney failure because protein molecules are supposed to be too big to get into your urine. But if you have breaks or damage in your kidney, they can get through. So that's one way they measure oh. kidney failure. So I still had protein in my urine and they told me you'll always have that because of the damage. Um, I still had arthritis, but I could take medicine for that. I still had migraines, but I could take medicine for that, but I didn't need chemo anymore. So that was, like I said, that was enormous freedom. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. G'day and welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Dr. Brooke Goldner Tadlock. And I mean, this is an amazing story. We're talking about somebody who was facing a terminal disease and then cured it with a plant-based diet. And since then, she has dedicated her life to helping people be able to reverse diseases using a plant-based diet talk about highly highly valuable episode you guys have to tune in and even if you're not faced with some kind of bad disease or poor health by using the principles and practices that dr goldner is talking about today we can literally increase our health and create an environment so no diseases can even get there in the first place so this is a super exciting topic really excited to jam in this with you today. And for those of you tuning in for the first time, this is Freedom Hack Radio, where we live by the freedom trinity of financial, time, and location freedom. And we also are all about living in fulfillment. And we achieve this by growing and maintaining balance in financial wealth, health, relationships, spirituality, and having fun. So here at Freedom Hack Radio, we have industry experts and leaders digging into these conversations at a deep level so we can all grow and explore deeper in these areas. So if you want to explore and grow with us, make sure to do yourself a solid and subscribe now so that you can be dialed into all of this amazing information. And without any further ado, let's dig into these amazing health benefits and this one story that Dr. Goldner is going to share with us as we get to improve our health and reverse diseases with plant-based diet. 
Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Dr. Brooke Goldner. Dr. Goldner is a board-certified medical doctor and the author of three best-selling books, Goodbye Lupus, Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, and Green Smoothie Recipes to Kickstart Your Health and Healing. She has been featured in multiple documentaries such as Eating You Alive, Whitewashed, and The Conspiracy Against Your Health has been featured on TV news and the Home Family Show, as well as many radio shows and podcasts, and is highly sought after keynote speaker who shares the stage regularly with Dr. Ornish, Esselson, Bernard Greger, and T. Colin Campbell, just to name a few. She has been featured on the front cover of Vegan Health and Fitness Magazine three times, including the recent cover of Fit Over 40. She is a regular contributor to T. Colin Campbell Center for Nutritional Studies, and she is featured in the Journal of Disease, reversing lupusin herself, as well as multiple case studies in reversing end-stage lupus kidney failure with her hypernourished nutritional protocol. She has graduated Carnegie Mellon University with honors for genetic research in leukemia and neurobiology, was a graduate of the Temple University School of Medicine, was chief resident at UCLA Harbor Residency, and holds a certificate in plant-based nutrition from Cornell University. She is the founder of goodbyelupus.com and the creator of Hypernourishing Protocol for Auto immune reversal. And I have to add, Dr. Brooke Goldner is authentic, down to earth, loving, charismatic, and tons of fun. Dr. Goldner, it's a pleasure to have you on the show here today. Welcome. Thank you for that awesome introduction. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure. You know, the place I'd really, really love to start today is Dr. Goldner. I really got to know what's given you the most gratitude today. Oh man, that's like my favorite thing is gratitude. That has fueled my whole life. Goodness, today, well, today just started for me. So I'm grateful I woke up on time. <laughs> I'm grateful <laughs> for my loving husband of 15 years uh, that tried to keep me in the bed this morning with just putting that arm around me. Uh, grateful that I woke up and saw my two beautiful boys uh, already getting ready for their homeschooling. Um, there's just so much amazing things to be grateful for. And I'm grateful to get to speak to you today and be able to reach even more people with some stories of hope and healing and gratitude. Beautiful, beautiful. That's amazing. You know, and, and we actually had your amazing husband on a couple of weeks ago, Mr. Thomas Tadlock, and he shared your amazing story about lupus. And, uh, you know, he's already told the story, but I'd really love to hear that from you. If you could tell, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear the trials and tribulations and, and the passion coming from the person herself. So you want to get me crying first. Okay. <laughs> All right, absolutely. So uh, long before I was ever a doctor or a genetic researcher or all the things you just listed off, I was a patient. And I actually started, goodness, probably about 14 years old was when I started getting terrible migraines, where I would literally be vomiting from pain and I'd be in bed for days, sometimes a week at a time. Doctors started doing all the tests, did the brain scans and everything, couldn't find what it was. So gave me pain medication. Then I started having pain in my knees and we thought maybe it's because I played volleyball in high school, but telling you the truth, I mostly sat the bench for volleyball. There was no reason uh, that I would be getting so much knee pain, but 
give me painkillers for that. And then finally, one day after uh, going to the pool all day with my friend, I came home, I had a terrible migraine and I had a rash across my face. And it came across one cheek and over my nose and on the other side, called the doctor, went to the ER, and finally they diagnosed me with something called lupus. Now, lupus is an autoimmune disease where your immune system, which normally is your best friend, right? Like there's a pandemic going on, your immune system is supposed to go out there, find viruses, find bacteria, kill them, and then restore your body back to health again. But with autoimmune diseases, your body stops recognizing self, non-self, and it can start attacking your own body, your own organs. And lupus is an especially dangerous one because it, it can affect major body organs and people die from it, especially young people. So at 16, I had the arthritis, I had the what we call the butterfly rash because it's shaped like a butterfly rash, very distinctive for lupus. I had the migraines, I had the fatigue. Uh, but what they discovered in the hospital was I was also in kidney failure, Jeez. totally unbeknownst to me or anybody, asymptomatic as far as I knew. Uh, but my blood pressure was through the roof. And within two days of going to the hospital for what I thought was a rash, uh, I ended up getting a kidney biopsy and was then in front of a nephrologist with, at the time I was there with my mother and my grandmother. My grandmother, uh, her and my grandfather came to this country as refugees from the Holocaust. They were living in Poland, Jewish family. Um, so some of them ended up in large ghettos, some ended up in Auschwitz and my grandparents mm. survived the war. So after the war, they came to the US to start over. So um, I'm first born in this country. My mom was five when they, when they came over. Wow. Okay. So I'm first generation living the American dream very much. Uh, yeah. But at the time, you know, I was kind of the, <laughs> the hope for the family, right? We were started over. So my grandmother's there, my mom is there. And this very straightforward nephrologist who originally is from New York, where we just say it like it is. That's where I'm yeah. from. And he literally just sat there and said to me, point blank, 16 years old, you're six months away from dying from kidney oh failure. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. He said, uh, your best hope is dialysis, but you know, you might not make it. And unless, Jeez. unless you take some experimental medicines, something nobody ever wants to hear from a doctor, right? That Jeez. at the time, this was, you know, I'm, I'm 44 now. So 16 years old at the time, they didn't have all the fancy new meds that they have now for lupus. Although the death rate has not changed much in spite of the millions, maybe billions of dollars invested in medicines for lupus. Mm. Um, but they had experimental treatments at the time they were working on using chemotherapy for Jeez. lupus. Now chemotherapy is usually used for cancer, right? But one of the side effects of chemotherapy is that it completely wrecks your immune system, suppresses it. That's yeah. why a lot of people with chemotherapy end up dying from infections because they have no, no, no more immune system. So their thought oh. at the time was, what if we reboot you? Like your computer, when your computer starts bugging out, what do you do? You just shut it off, yeah. wait, count to five. At least me, Tom always says count to 30, but I, I count to five because I'm a <laughs> New Yorker. We don't, we're not patient. So count to five, turn it on again, and oh, works again, right? So they thought, what if we could do that for your immune system? It works for 14, 15 years. Maybe if we shut it off with, you know, poisonous, toxic drugs, maybe it'll start again. Oh my so God. Okay. You know, coming from an immigrant family, it was, you do whatever the doctor says. This is also yeah. pre-Google, you know, uh, there was no yeah. internet till I was in college. <laughs> so, uh, so there was nothing else to compare it to. Immigrant family, do what doctor says. I've never had that experience as a doctor uh, that people just listen like that, but, but my family did. So I started these drugs. And so I was taking seven different medicines, high dose steroids, 
they were, they said that the chemotherapy would probably destroy my ovaries. I'd never be able to have children. I'd increase yeah. my risk of cancer, but at least it could possibly stop the kidney failure. So they didn't know how long to give it to me at the time. They still use it by the way. Uh, but usually people get it for maybe a few sessions, maybe a couple months. I took it for two years straight. How, so how, was, how scary was this as a child? And you're like, you're like 16 years old and you think 16, you're going to die, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I think at 16, it's hard to have that, that bandwidth for that kind of existential crisis. You know, um, I, I kind of just, it filtered in, but it wasn't really my reality. I've never really believed anyone who said I was going to die. Uh, I just, it didn't feel real. And I don't know if it was the immaturity of a 16 year old or maybe me having a sense of something greater. I don't know, but I never really believed I was going to die. Um, My grandmother though, I have never seen that woman cry ever in my life, except for that moment when, Mm. um, when the nephrologist said that I was burned in my, my head, we got home and my grandmother was on her knees crying and begging God to take her life to spare mine. Wow. My grandfather had recently died and she was just, it was, uh, it was, it was really hard in the family. And I think, um, you know, one of the things I learned is that you don't get sick in a vacuum. When you get sick, it affects everybody who knows you and loves you. And so I know as tough as my family was and they were my mom. Oh my gosh. I give her all the credit for me getting through everything. She, you know, there was never a question are you going to finish high school, anything like that? It was, you have chemotherapy Friday, you have an exam on Monday. So when are you going to get your studying done? Because I was in all AP classes and I had a dream of going to Carnegie Mellon, which is one of the top schools. So, you know, it was never, it was just like planning, you're getting it done. You got stuff to do. You've got dreams to live, right? So it was all, she was amazing, but I still heard her crying in a room at night, you know? So it was a, it was a tough time for everybody, but for me, I just tried to maintain as much normalcy as I could. Uh, when you asked about gratitude, you know, the reason I had such a big reaction to it is I believe that is the key thing that helped me through that time because, you know, there were, there were, there were definitely nights and times where, especially with the chemo, I hated the chemo uh, because every time I took it, I would be thrown up for about a week. You know, <laughs> and, and I just, and then after that week of vomiting, I was afraid to eat. So it'd usually be about two weeks where I was extremely weak because I wasn't eating and I was vomiting all the time. And by the time I started to feel my strength come back, it was time for the next uh, treatment. So it was just, that was kind of, that was also, I think, part of, you know, why it didn't sink in because it was just an autopilot, take my pills, take my chemo, do my tests, get my, you know, so it was just kind of You're in, uh, yeah. autopilot. Stuff to do. But on, yeah. But on the hardest days or you know I remember laying in my bed sometimes I was just uh so sick and then they would give me these medicines to help me with the vomiting but the medicine made my eyes shake and so I was trying to watch tv but my eyes were shaking and I felt so sick and so I remember I would just close my eyes and I would just start counting my blessings like counting all the things that made me lucky and you know mostly it was my family and beautiful place I got to live. And the fact that in spite of what was going on with my kidneys, my brain still worked. I was still getting good grades. I still had a future. Um, I had great doctors. Um, and I would, I would keep thinking about all the things that made me lucky until I started crying from gratitude because I would never trade my life for anybody else's because nobody was as lucky as me. And wow. I, I it was an instinct for me to do this, to just sink into gratitude and, and having Holocaust survivor grandparents help raise you helps. Yeah. Because yeah. they would have given their time in prison camps for chemo in a 
flash. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so I still felt very blessed by my life. And that really helped me through all the things that I went through. And, you know, I'll give away the ending. I made it, you know, um, so <laughs> I did make it through. And I graduated in the top 10 of my class. I got a scholarship to Carnegie Mellon University. Um, and the coolest thing was my last chemo was one week before I started college. So it was like this new start, new freedom, wow. uh, very exciting. And I was considered in remission at the time. Now, remission for autoimmune disease does not mean you don't have an illness. Uh, I still very much had an illness, but I was stable. It kind of means you're not currently dying from this disease. And so um, my kidneys were stable. I still had uh, protein loss in my urine, which is a sign of kidney failure because protein molecules are supposed to be too big to get into your urine. But if you have breaks or damage in your kidney, they can get through. So that's one way they measure oh. kidney failure. So I still had protein in my urine and they told me you'll always have that because of the damage. Um, I still had arthritis, but I could take medicine for that. I still had migraines, but I could take medicine for that, but I didn't need chemo anymore. So that was, like I said, that was enormous freedom. Uh, so that was what remission was. And I actually maintained it really well through college. Uh, I learned one of the gifts of lupus is that I learned at an early age that it matters if you get sleep and do self-care, you know, because yeah. if I didn't sleep or I didn't do enough self-care, I got stressed, I would be incapacitated. I'd have a terrible migraine. I wouldn't be able to function. So I actually learned early on that not just gratitude, but self-care, sleep, all these things mattered in order for me to function the way I wanted to. Um, and, and it also... Another gift of chronic illness was I, I learned to really push for my dreams. Um, I think most people who are 18 think they have, you know, a hundred years to go and, totally. and they're busy partying and doing other stuff. Yeah. But I, I was the youngest genetic researcher at Carnegie Mellon because they had a rule that you couldn't start till your junior year, but I only, I don't have time for that. So sophomore year, I was banging on all the doors of all the labs until somebody finally gave me a job. And uh, so I started wow. young and, uh, and so I always was kind of aware of, you know, I felt this urgency to achieve and to find meaning both through joy and fun and relationships, but also through achievement because, you know, you never know when a bus is going to fall on your head, right? yeah. bus of lupus. So um, I actually maintained remission all through college where I dealt with my pain, but I was able to, you know, to, to do well and, I actually graduated with honors from Carnegie Mellon as well. I didn't get sick again to medical school, like really sick uh, because, you know, my doctors told me always get sleep and avoid stress. Right. And so medical school. <laughs> yeah. The perfect recipe. So, and, and how old were you then when you, when I got sick again, um, let's see. So started medical school, 22, 23, I think I was 24. Four twenty-five, maybe twenty-five when I got oh, okay. sick. Yeah, I think I was about okay. twenty-five. Yeah. So I mean, I was still sick with lupus in terms of, but I was dealing with it. Like I said, my remission meant that kidney stable, just dealing with the day-to-day -day pain. And on um, meds the whole time, like leading up to med yeah. school, still on meds. Yeah. I mean, I had moments where I was. I mean, I was on steroids through most of college. I did have some time where I was able to taper off of them towards the end. Uh, which probably set me up really well for getting sick again in medical school. But you know, that you don't want to be on steroids forever if you can. And so my doctors were kind of like, all right, you've been stable for a while. So I still took my migraine medicine. I still took my uh, pain medicines, but I, I, I tapered off of the steroids. But then in medical school, uh, the stress is unbelievable. And the, even for someone as easygoing as me, uh, and also the lack of sleep. I was working hundred hour weeks because back yeah, then we didn't wow. have laws in place. Now we do We're we're not allowed to work more than 80 hours a week, but uh, you know, medical students are free labor for hospitals. 
actually we pay to be labor at hospitals. So, uh, really? you know, there was times where I'd fall asleep in my scrubs sitting on the couch and I'd wake up at, you know, it's 4am time to get ready for work again. And well, I guess that works. Just, I'm not proud of it, but I did it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it was, I started getting something new though. I, I started getting double vision where literally I'd be walking down the hall of the hospital mm. and the whole world was split into two and I'd have to hold a wall and just wait for the world to come back together again. Uh, not normal. Uh, I started getting these red dots all over myself and my nails and my hands. And I actually went to one of my attendings, which is, you know, your boss doctor and said, Hey, you know, I have lupus. I'm getting double vision. I think something's wrong. And she blew me off. She was like, Oh, med students think they have everything hypochondriacs. And like, I'm the opposite of a hypochondriac. I want nothing. <laughs> I don't want any yeah. illness. Something's yeah. wrong. But I said, okay, Thanksgiving break's coming. I'll just wait, see my doctors when I get home. Bad decision. Uh, I ended up passing out in one of the clinics one day and uh, they left me there. They kind of closed up shop. And I think they just thought I was a med student sleeping because hundred hour weeks. Um, wow. But right before I passed out, I, uh, I had had the double vision. I got really confused. I couldn't speak. I, I was, I remember feeling like I couldn't figure out if I was awake or dreaming. Wow. It was just, right, I was just kind of really confused. I could see people, but I couldn't say anything to them. And yeah. then I have no memory till I was waking up. And uh, all I could think about when I woke up was I just wanted to get home, which I lived only a couple blocks from the clinic, but I couldn't remember where I lived. And I was driving slowly, like looking around at buildings and stop signs and street names and trying to, it was very strange. Somehow I That's got tough. home. I ended up parking on the curb passed out my bed, woke up feeling okay, but obviously not okay. And when I went home, it turned out that one of the things lupus can cause is a type of antibody that causes blood clots. So I'd had a mini stroke um, and I was having mini strokes when I was getting this double vision, it was blood clots going up into my head. Um, and they're called transient ischemic attacks, but basically it's, you get a blood clot that goes up to your brain, but then it moves on. So it doesn't cause permanent damage like a regular stroke but can become a regular stroke. Obviously you send enough clots into your brain, eventually you're gonna have a major stroke. So um, I got lucky <laughs> that I, that didn't happen. Um, and so I was told then, okay, from now on, you have to inject yourself with blood thinners every day. My doctor chose an injectable blood thinner for me and I inject that in my belly every day. And by the way, you know how we told you, you can't have kids because of kidney failure. Well, now that you're getting mini strokes, you definitely can never have children if you still have eggs after the chemo. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously that set me up for even shorter lifespan. At this point, I was a doctor or no, almost a doctor. I was graduating soon. So I, I now understood my disease in a way that I never did when I was a teenager. Mm. Um, and it really weighed on me that time. That was the first time that I really had, I probably spent about two weeks in mourning. <laughs> just, like, just when I was about to graduate med school, I got my dream residency at Harbor UCLA. I was like, everything's going well. And then, you know, F and lupus is back and, mm. and trying to get in my way again. And so I, you know, I, I believe it's important to mourn when things go wrong. And I did, I cried and I talked to some of my best friends and you know, that I, I was already, I'd made peace with the idea that I would probably be handicapped by my forties, but you can practice medicine in a wheelchair. But and it's better I, than, it's better than dying. Right. Because that was yeah. probably your alternative. Yeah. And, and, you know, as long as I, so I had that image in my mind that that would likely be the case. But all I ever counted on was my brain. I am not an athlete. I, 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 I'm uncoordinated. I, there's no other life path for me. <laughs> this is it. Nerd. That's all I got. So the idea that, you know, having uh, blood clots going and that I could lose my brain 
it really threw me. Yeah. Um, so I spent a couple of weeks in mourning, crying about it. And then I finally came back to that place where I've always lived, which was, but it didn't kill me yet. I'm still here. All right, now I got to take injections and I got to be careful not to hit my head or else I'll bleed into my head, but I'm still here. I'm going to do my, my dream residency. I'm going to shoot for chief resident, which I got, right? But I, I just, I, I was like, you know what? I'm still in the game. And how many people get to live their dream the way I did? I've worked for my dream and I'm about to achieve it. So I went back to, I'm the luckiest person in the world. And that's actually when I met Thomas, which changed the entire trajectory of my life, not just because of the amazing love we have, but because that was when my health changed for good. So you interviewed Thomas and I, I think we can both agree most amazing man on the planet, right? You know, just between <laughs> you and me, right? Like just the most amazing man on the planet. I'm a major fan. Uh, and, you know, we fell in love really, really quickly. I mean, I met him and, and you know, people think it was just because he happens to be gorgeous, but truly it was because how he made me laugh and how he made me feel. I, I picked him mm. up at a bar. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because again, short time clock, I had a lot of confidence. It's like, I don't know how much time I have. And that guy, I'm talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah. And so it was probably a month into dating that he was already talking about marriage. And I felt it too. I mean, it was magical. It still is how we felt about each other. But I had to explain to this amazing 28-year-old man, I have a disease. I'm not going to live a long life. I'm going to become disabled. You'll have to take care of me when I become disabled. I'll never be able to have your children. It's not exactly a romantic, you know, response to a proposal. How deep into the relationship are you when you're having this conversation? We were together about a month, but deeply in love and planning mm -hmm. our lives together. And I you mean, just, you just drop the bomb on him and it's like, okay, yeah. And, and, and it comes with this. Yeah. yeah. And, wow. and it was, um, you know, he described, uh, you interviewed him and, you know, he describes to me that he felt like, you know, minutes and minutes had passed where he was in this crisis because, you know, I don't know if Thomas mentioned to you, but his best friend in the world died when they were in their twenties from cancer. Yeah. So, and he had never fully connected to another human in the same way until he met me. And then here I am saying, I'm also a limited time offer, wow. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I know that it was crushing to him, but it was literally like a couple seconds that passed. And he just answered me and said, you know, I would rather have a short life with you than a lifetime with anybody else. So let's do it. And I went, wow. oh my God, let's get married. Nice. Okay. You know, so it was. <laughs> <laughs> that is so awesome. Why did I not bring tissues? I, I have to know. I can't talk about Thomas without crying. Um, but he, um, you know, to his credit, he was all in and he's like, we'll just make it the best darn life you could ever have. And so that's when things really started to change because you know, I'd always spent my life aiming for a white coat. I'd never really dreamt about the white dress. I'd never thought of myself having the typical, you know, white dress kids get me, you know, it was like, I was on kind of a singular mission. And uh, at the time I was pretty out of shape. I mean, the worst diet, if you want to, well, actually no, the best diet, if your goal is to be fat and sick would be hospital food. I don't know if you've ever yeah, had hospital food. Nasty, yeah. It's pretty good for business for the hospital. Um, <laughs> But I was on a pretty bad diet. Uh, I'd been vegetarian actually since I was 12, but I was eating tons. Like I ate eggs and cheese every day, tw usually twice a day, breakfast and dinner. I ate lots of processed foods. Uh, vegetarian doesn't necessarily mean healthy, does it? I mean, you can totally no. just go on the carb fest and, and, and be vegetarian. 
Oh, well, I mean, it, the, it's not the carbs so much as you're still eating tons of animal products. And a lot of people, they'll give up meat and then just go all in on cheese, which is even oh, worse. Okay. Um, so, okay. I mean, at the time when I met him, we were living in Pittsburgh. And in Pittsburgh, at the hospital, if I ordered a salad, they would put French fries and ranch dressing on top. I mean, it was just like Pittsburgh is not a very healthy place. Add extra health. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, although I was moving to LA and I definitely was not in LA shape, uh, at all. So, um, at the time, Thomas was already pretty famous for his, you know, he's brilliant at understanding, uh, cellular biology in terms of fat loss and muscle building. And so he's training people for MTV and I'm over 20 pounds overweight, you know, uh, with, and he had like more abs than he should. Like they were like 20 abs, <laughs> I swear. Like he was abs from like the neck down. So we wanted to elope to Maui with just a few of our best friends and our parents and my grandparents, like just the people who would yeah. cry, Tom said, right? So we're going to be in Maui. I'm going to be in bikini. I'm going to be in a wedding dress. So I, I begged him to train me, which he was scared because he thought it was a trap. You know, like he's like, you're already beautiful. I'm like, no, 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 it's not a trap. Like, I really do want you to train me. So he said, listen, you are on um, you're eating a ton of saturated fat and that's going to keep you fat. Like, well, not that I was fat, but like, that's going to keep your body fat. Um, yeah. and he said, you got to give up all this cheese and eggs. He said, if you want to eat eggs, then take the yolks out, which is disgusting. So I was like, no, okay, forget that. So, um, so I gave up the cheese and the eggs. Um, but he was putting people on plans, tons of vegetables, uh, tons of omega threes, high water intake. And then he was using meat, but like free range meat, which was supposed to be a little bit less inflammatory, but I wouldn't eat it. So he's, he'd never trained someone who was vegetarian before. So he just guessed, he's like, let's do soybeans and tofu and then everything else identical. And I got the same results in terms of fat loss. I went from a size 11 to a size three in three and a half months. So I looked wow. amazing. And you, but, you were like working out like crazy too. Yeah. yeah oh, I was working oh, out every day. Yeah. I would yeah. get up at five and go to the, uh, to the gym before the hospital, which here's the thing for people who don't have lupus being, I was now an intern. <laughs> working, we were supposed to work 80 hours a week. It often was more, although we weren't supposed to let on to that, but you know, the, your, your boss would say go home, but you weren't done charting. So what are you going to do? Right. Um, but you know, I'm working these super long hours, uh, multiple days a week, working 30 hour shifts. People who don't have lupus are exhausted and grumpy. Right. Yeah. And I had so much energy. I was going to the gym after a 30 hour shift, which was what, I mean, I was so energetic that the chairman of my residency pulled me aside because they were worried about me because I wasn't appropriately tired and depressed like all the other interns. They weren't worried about that. They looked normal. I looked weird because I was so peppy. Yeah. Like maybe they thought I was manic. <laughs> I said, no, I'm just grateful. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm living my dream. I'm a doctor now. This is great. Like, I can't believe I'm here. And they're like, all right, cool. Um, <laughs> and they actually came to trust me so much that before me, every time, every, uh, every year that, that there was two chief residents to handle all the work, I was the first solo chief resident. I did all the work of two people by myself. Wow. Uh, so they learned to lean on me by the fourth year, but it was startling to them why I was so energetic and peppy, but my diet was fantastic. And I'm generally naturally happy. Um, if, you know, life, life is, is good. If you're not in the hospital, uh, as a patient, as a doctor, I was happy. So I felt really, really good. I had no more migraines. I had no more fatigue. I had no more arthritis and I couldn't, I didn't understand why. And How sometimes people take say it was, say, take was a radical shift to feel good. Like when, when you started and Thomas is like, all right, we're going to do this program. Like how long did it take you until you were like, oh my God, I feel amazing. 
Like, was it weeks? Was probably was it just months? like a couple of weeks. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty okay. quick. And, okay. you know, people will try to say sometimes it's because you were in love. At this point, though, I'd been in love with him for a year and I still had lupus symptoms. Uh, but then I changed my diet and within a couple of weeks, I didn't. So uh, I, I have, you know, one of the things that I teach and actually my, my newest book in Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, the majority of the book is how powerful the mindset piece is in addition to your nutrition. Because yeah. for, you know, there is... Uh, the weight of how much nutrition is important for your body to be able to repair itself. But then also depression, anxiety are also inflammatory and affect you. So the happier you are, the faster the nutrition works. So mm -hmm. I, I already yeah. had happy going uh, and then added the nutrition. So it was very quick. And when we went to, right before we went to get married, we went to my new doctor in California and they ran all the usual tests. And the tests were negative for lupus. So they thought it was a lab error. The guy called me and said, enjoy your wedding, come back, retake them because they mixed up your labs. Because at this point I was 28. I'd been sick for 12 years. I have never had negative labs. Even when I was in remission, all the labs were positive for lupus. So people would yeah. know like ANA, DSDNA, complement levels, protein in my urine, always, always, always for 12 years straight, sometimes worse, sometimes better, but always there. This all the lupus labs were negative, no protein in my urine either, like normal kidney function. So I went, okay, that's a mistake. Went and enjoyed the wedding, came back, retested again, still negative for lupus, no blood clot antibodies at all. And my cholesterol, which I was told was genetically high since I was in my 20s, nothing to do with all the cheese I ate, uh, was normal. Yeah. And so that this month actually, we're celebrating, that was 15 years ago. And I have never had a relapse. I have continued to be 100% lupus free. Uh, I have had two beautiful, amazing, healthy boys uh, that are thriving. Um, I do not have any symptoms of lupus. And like I said, my blood work is totally normal for 15 years. So, you know, it, it definitely, it changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, one in that I don't have to worry about illness and I get to look forward to growing old with my husband. Um, instead of being handicapped in my 40s, as you mentioned earlier, I was on the cover of a fitness magazine in my 40s, which is yeah. <laughs> and I was just hoping to be alive in my 40s, you know, um, and, you know, especially once I had my first son, we realized that this wasn't a remission, but this was actually a reversal of the disease because people with lupus, uh, it's very, very bad for them when they have pregnancies. Uh, it's life threatening. And I had zero relapse, kidney function normal, no blood clots, took zero meds during my pregnancy uh, and shocked everybody, including my doctors who were terrified that I was going to be, they'd be using their malpractice insurance on me. Um, and I've been fine. So once I had my first son, we really realized this was gone. And then Thomas and I are both scientists. We went back to study really what is the impact of nutrition on cellular repair and inflammation, your inflammatory and anti-inflammatory immune systems. And what we realized was we'd accidentally created really the most anti-inflammatory diet possible for a person. And in spite of discovering that, we then went into testing mode because I hate it when you ever see it where someone goes, I did this and it worked for me. Just do what I did. And they don't even know what worked, what didn't work. Did you get better in spite of something because of something? We, we don't like those kind of variables. Yeah. So we did testing. Uh, on people for a year, just like, hey, can I put you on a diet? It's not like scary testing like chemo, right? Um, and, and once we found a way to make it where every person got the same result, reversal, that's when we made it public. So I've been teaching this full time now for the past decade. And in that time, we've had 
thousands of people reverse, not just lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, multiple sclerosis, um, mixed connective tissue disease, as well as things like heart failure, diabetes. It turns out the best diet to heal from a disease like lupus happens to just be the best diet for a person to achieve optimal health. It also reverses aging. Uh, it gives you great energy, uh, makes your skin super healthy and glowy. It's just, it's just one of those things. People want the fountain of youth. This is it. It's not easy and fun. It's not, it's not a cheeseburger. Uh, but it really works. And it's given me so much gratitude and joy to help other people through this process where people now send me pictures of their babies that they were told they could never have. And them traveling around Europe pre-COVID uh, when they were in bed, unable to move beforehand. It's just the most beautiful, glorious thing that could ever happen. And it makes me grateful for every day I was ever sick. That's amazing. You know, I mean, so you were, you were, you were going to be in a wheelchair if you were even going to live, you weren't right. going to have kids, you know, short life. And then all of a sudden, you know, and, and you'd been taking, uh, you had chemotherapy, you'd been taking all of these medications and steroids and blood thinners and injections. And, and then you meet Thomas. And so what was it? What was the actual key to all of this? What, what was the key to that? This is just like eating, eating vegetables. Is this the key? Yeah. So, so it, it's, it's really simple in terms of what it is. The hard part is people deciding to do it and putting it into action. So it turns out that, at least in my view, chronic disease is a modern invention, really. Chronic disease is you get an injury and you just don't heal it and it gets worse. Yeah. It would be like if you twisted your ankle and then you just keep walking on it. It'll mm. never heal. It'll get worse over time, right? And eventually you'll just rip the muscles and you'll be permanently disabled. That's what autoimmune, high blood pressure, all of these things, even cancer, it's about getting an injury that you never heal. And so then it just gets worse over time, but it's not because your body doesn't want to, or because your body doesn't know how to every cell in your body knows how to repair itself. It's programmed that way. It's why if you get a paper cut, you don't get out your sewing kit and sew it closed, right? They know how to fix themselves. Yeah. My kidneys knew how to fix themselves. My body knew how to fix itself, but I wasn't giving it a chance because not only was I not giving it the tools to repair itself, I was walking on the broken ankle. I was making it worse with what I was doing. So things that make people have chronic illness, one are going to be things that disrupt cortisol, create inflammation. So there's, as I mentioned before, the mood aspects, high stress, poor sleep, uh, you know, um, depression, anxiety, all of those disrupt cortisol levels, create inflammation. So it's important to do the work on yourself to find your gratitude, your peace, your happiness. But very, very powerful. Even if you're as grateful, as happy a person as you can be, which, you know, I'm pretty much like most people that I used to, they, they used to call me silver lining when I was medical director of this other place, because <laughs> that's just my natural state is to be grateful. You still need the right nutrition because your body uses your nutrition to build your cells. Literally that expression, you are what you eat is true. <laughs> that is hundred percent true. So whatever it is you're consuming is becoming yourselves. So for cells to operate properly, which is what you're asking me, you need certain things. So vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, different kinds of phytonutrients, right? Where do vitamins and minerals come from? Plants, vegetables. right? Yeah. Yeah. So vegetables more than fruits and the most potent, most uh, powerful source of those things, the highest dose you can get is cruciferous vegetables, hands down. Is that leafy you grains? Dark leafy greens and cruciferous vegetables like kale, broccoli, 
cauliflower, um, uh, Brussels sprouts, radishes, uh, okay. like cruciferous vegetables, but especially like kale and broccoli, holy moly, those things. If you're trying to reverse a disease, you need the most powerful dose of the medicine possible, right? Like if you have a headache, you don't lick one Tylenol and throw it away, right? You need like three of them. <laughs> so when you're looking to reverse a disease, it takes excessive amounts of these vitamins and not from an IV and not from multivitamins. Nobody overdosing your multivitamins as bad for you. But when we actually do it through what we call hypernourishment, where we oversupply the body through the foods, your body absorbs what it needs and it will go into a state of recovery. So first of all, we do super high doses of the cruciferous vegetables and dark leafy greens. So it ends up being basically spinach and then kale, broccoli, those kind of things in their raw form. Yep. Unfortunately, we've tested it. It doesn't work with the cooked form. And people will ask me, what if I blanch it, like lightly steam it? It doesn't work anymore. It does, it, I wish it did. Everyone prefers steamed broccoli, but the results aren't the same. And, and really results are what matter most to me. I've been doing this a long time. So the yep. raw vegetables. Uh, the other thing that is essential that most people are completely missing from their diet, omega-3 fatty acids. And what I do is I actually use flax and chia seeds. They're actually pretty cheap. Uh, okay. Around here, you can get it for like $1.29 a pound. Yep. Um, and omega-3 fatty acids are essential for many, many different reasons. Uh, they're essential for cellular function. So all of your cells have a membrane around them that keeps them waterproof, all right, so that your cells don't just dissolve out and you turn into a puddle. So this membrane uh, is supposed to have certain kinds of fats in it, and omega-3s are supposed to be one of those fats. Now, omega-3s make is, that membrane flexible. Yeah. Is Udo's oil a, a pretty decent form of oils? Or would you you, would you think we're better off sticking with the straight up flax and well, chia? Listen, when I first started doing this, we were using super high dose of high quality fish oil, um, which liquid fish oil, because the pills, they're all rotten. I mean, you open them up, they smell like dead rotten fish, which really, how long would you keep a dead fish in your cabinet? But you put it in a capsule and you forget about it, right? So we were using high dose of the liquid refrigerated cod liver oil in the beginning, which works. Um, but then we found, but it's disgusting. I mean, I would have to barter yeah. with people to try to get it them to nasty. drink it. Yeah, yeah, like a quarter cup of it. Uh, but people are much happier and it works just as well to use the flax and chia seeds and flaxseed oil. So I use that and it works well. People's diseases are going away. Um, so and you're using the flaxseed oil or the actual seeds themselves? Flaxseed oil as well. It works well. If it's cold pressed and refrigerated, flax seeds are extremely sensitive to oxidation by heat and air. So uh, if you have seeds and you just grind them up to order, or you throw them in a smoothie or something that works really well. Um, some people though, that their guts are so slow that instead of fiber making them go, it makes them constipated. So then we'll take out, there's a lot of fiber in the seeds. We'll switch out the seeds for the flaxseed oil to get the benefit of the omega threes without getting extra fiber. And the oil kind of lubricates the bowel and it makes it a little easier. Um, some yeah, people just prefer yeah. the flavor of it. They don't want their smoothie thick or whatever. But the omega-3s actually make the membranes responsive so that when cellular single signals come by, the cell can grab the signal and respond. If you don't have omega-3 fatty acids in your diet, your cells are very rigid and signals can literally bounce off and not be received. So right. people could be eating super healthy diets and still not recover because of the omega-3 deficiency. Or what I see sometimes is people are on a plant-based diet, but as long as they're eating the same, they're fine. But if they eat one thing that's inflammatory, they're immediately symptomatic. They didn't get full recovery because they're lacking the omega-3. The other thing that omega-3 does is it is the ingredient that your body uses to build your anti-inflammatory immune system. So if you're creating inflammation, you had a bad day, you had stress, you ate a burger or something, you created inflammation, 
you need an anti-inflammatory immune system to clean it up and get rid of it, or else it will build on itself and turn into a disease. So again, getting sick, but never recovering, omega-3s are essential for that. And then the final ingredient is water. Turns yeah. out- Mega Turns hydration. out that uh, water is essential for every chemical reaction necessary for removing inflammation. Um, and the, the most common symptoms of, of low water intake besides slow healing is, um, dehyd- is, uh, is fatigue and constipation and headaches. And how much money do the pharmaceutical companies make on people treating headaches and constipation and how much caffeine are people consuming because of fatigue when literally it's dehydration that's fueling all of those problems. So, you know, you get people up to, I try to get people up to at least an ounce per pound, um, uh, up till a gallon. I mean, if you're 200 pounds, don't go for that, but like 96 ounces to 128 ounces. Um, and all of a sudden their energy's through the roof. They're going to the bathroom like a champ. Uh, yeah. and, and they have, you know, and they're just, they feel so much better and their diseases go away. So those ingredients are very easy. Get them from the supermarket, but getting people to make the majority of their food come from those ingredients is a whole nother task. And it's why I'm so happy that I'm trained in psychiatry as well, because getting people to do what they need to do here or make the decision here to do what's right for their body is the key step that I find, uh, is the most challenging for most people. So, you know, my, my wife and I, we made a decision about five years ago, we started really researching health and we were like, you know, we started finding out about, you know, radia, radia, um, radiation and microwaves and stuff like this. So we stopped using the microwave and then we started going through everything through our house and we literally got through like all, all of the toothpaste and the cleaning agents and everything. We went completely natural on everything and we're watching documentaries about cancer and how to cure cancer and you can do it with all of these different, you know, leafy greens and, um, cottage cheese with certain oil flaxseed oils and things like this and we're like well like let's not just have this in our diet why don't we do this so we went through this whole thing where we completely changed our diet and we completely changed all of the ingredients in our house and it was a bit of work up front but now it's like really easy so i mean what do you say like what's the hardest part of all of this for people who are going from you know eating potato chips on the couch to to transitioning into this life like what's the hardest part of all of this and how do they wrap their head around it uh, that's why I wrote a whole book about this. Um, this is, you know, the heart there, changing your diet is not just about information, right? Uh, it's about addictions. It's about traditions. It's about peer pressure and self-esteem. Uh, it's about support. So it's, there's that first step of getting the information and that can get you really wired and excited. And, and you and your wife, it looks like you guys are equally minded. You have that support together. You did it together. A yeah. lot of people I see, one person needs to do it for their health and the other is sitting on the couch still eating chips. Like, don't you even dare get rid of the stuff that's in the house. So support is an issue. Um, Addiction is huge. I worked in addiction medicine for a while. Um, When I first came out of residency, my dream actually was to help the homeless. I've always, you know, I was already raised by Holocaust survivors that, you know, you have to help the people who need the most help. So that was my goal was to work with the homeless. And so I spent five years as a medical director of a nonprofit, youngest medical director. (laughs) You know, I was always pushing, um, working with 18 to 25 year olds coming out of juvenile justice and and foster care and, and homeless. So a lot of drugs. And what I found doing this work is that food addiction looks exactly like Mm. drug addiction. It's the same because we've created food like drugs that keeps people stuck in this rut. So what happens is there's this pattern they go through. And it's why also my husband and I created a a rapid recovery group 
just so it's a six week program where they have, we help them every single day individually within this group uh, to get through the whole process. So one, to get it right, because you have to get the dose right. You have to do everything correctly, right? But two, to get through all the negative self-talk and the addiction, because for the first two to three weeks, everything in them is telling them to quit. Usually yeah. the first week they're in it because the initial burst of motivation, excitement. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it, right? Then the first week's over, it's starting to get old. And now the creeping in voices of, you know, I don't feel too good today. Maybe I need protein. And, you know, no, you don't need protein. You're just craving chicken wings because you like them, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's like, oh, I don't feel better yet. Maybe this isn't good for me. Or maybe I don't want to lose too much weight or whatever. There, there's these little thoughts that come in and they're looking for a reason to quit. And once they find a good enough reason, if there's not another voice like mine there to say, no, 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 just keep going often quit. And when I work with people individually I, I, who tried on their own and then didn't keep going, I ask them every time, how long did you make it on your own? It's always two weeks, every time. And really? at two weeks is usually the peak of the cravings. Okay. So cravings get worse. Motivation goes down. Uh, forget it. Right. Uh, so, so addiction is a huge part of people's failure to fully adopt these things. Um, and if you're an addict, and the person who lives with you is still supply, it still has a supplier going on. It's very hard, right? If you're trying to eat super, super clean and then you had a bad day at work and there's a bag of chips sitting there or there's a block of cheese in the fridge or whatever your addiction was, mine was cheese, but whatever the addiction was, okay. one day you're going to screw up, right? That's like if you're an alcoholic and your partner has beer in the fridge, yeah. eventually you're going to do it. So addiction is a big part of it. And I help people through the addiction process. Um, and of course, dealing with moods right? Helping people. That's a huge part of what we do in the group is we teach people happiness. And uh, it's a beautiful thing. Like we're finishing uh, the fifth week today, right after this, uh, we're doing a meeting. Beautiful. Um, And one of the biggest breakthroughs that people tell us in the group, they came there to reverse their disease, but they discovered happiness. And uh, it always chokes me up because to me, that's what makes life good, right? There's plenty of healthy people out there who hate their life. But if you can become a happy person, then even disease won't take away what your enjoyment and, and happiness in your life. So uh, so we teach them happiness to help them with that. Um, we make sure they get good sleep. But yeah, the addiction is huge. The support is huge. Uh, and then there's self-esteem. So many people are afraid to stand out. Um, I've been weird my whole life. I'm just kind of used to it. I'm the one that doesn't fit in, fine. <laughs> unusually happy, whatever, you know. Um, But uh, there's a lot of people who feel very insecure to be the one to say to the waiter, "Um, can you take the cheese off the salad? Um, Can you add more broccoli? Uh, Everybody else is eating burgers. They don't want to be the one eating a salad. Or grandma, you know, my grandmother used to say to me, I just lost her a couple of years ago. She got to 99 on pure stubbornness, I swear. Uh, But she She used to say to me, Brooksy, I won't tell anybody. I make you chicken soup. Nobody has to know. And I'm like, Grandma, <laughs> I don't want chicken soup. I, I'm good. Let me make you something. But, you know, she always thought maybe, you know, maybe. And, and actually, I just talked to some. What's that? You must be missing the chicken soup. Come on. I get it. You no, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> and then I talked to someone yesterday when I said, what keeps going wrong with your diet? And she goes, my mother gives me a guilt trip that she shows me love through food. And if I won't eat her food, then she won't let me love. She, I won't let her love me. Uh, I'm like, holy guilt trip, Batman. Like, really? Yeah. You know? so, so teaching her to say something like, I appreciate your love. And I also need your support. If you want to make me food, I would love if you'd make me a salad or make me a smoothie or something like that. So, so that you can help me through this process because your food is so tempting and, and I need your support. So there's so much to it. And, 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 you know, as easy as it was for you to say, hey, it's my wife and I, 
we just clean out our house, boom, done. For many people, it is a really difficult process because they have to get their own motivation straight, get deal with their own addictions, and then there's the rest of the world and dealing with them. So it's very difficult for many people. And while there are people every day who tag me on either YouTube or Instagram or Facebook to say they literally just read Goodbye Lupus, Goodbye Autoimmune Disease, did what yeah. they said, and symptom free, their labs are good. There's many of them who end up joining my group just because they need they need the friend, they need the ally, they need the support to get through the initial stages and get over the addiction and get it right before they feel strong enough to go out in the world and 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 continue on their journey. So I try to help on every level. Like this Saturday, I'll be posting my uh, classes for free. I teach five hours of classes on everything Mm -hmm. that's in Goodbye Lupus and case studies and autoimmune disease. I do free Q and A's for hours uh, for the public, all free of charge, because I believe that this should be a public, this should be a right for people to have this information. So I give all the information away for free. I'd never hold anything back. The only thing people ever pay for is if they personally want my help and support to do it, then that's, you know, part of my practice. And I, and I do that and I help people, but um, everything's in the books. Everything's in my free classes. It's just, I'm just trying to push out that information and eliminate these diseases from the planet. Yeah. I mean, you're really pushing the movement to help people heal. And I love that about you. And, you know, something, you know, talking about addictions, I think, you know, a lot of people are addicted to going to the doctor or going to like thinking that I have to take a prescription drug or something like that to solve it. Like it couldn't be as simple as, as actually being healthy or having a positive attitude. And there's something, and I was wondering if you could help me with this, because I have like a big question mark about this. Um, You know, so when I look at, let's just say I call it the modern medical system. Um, I look at the modern medical system and there's, there's some big question marks for me, some sort of like conflicts of interest. You know, I look at the business side of being a doctor and, you know, maybe a doctor has to have certain machines for diagnosis and um, a certain amount of patients have to go through that machine for it to, to be able to pay for the machine, you know? And then, so there's some sort of ethical things there. And, you know, I've lived in uh, probably like five different countries and I've traveled to 60 countries and I've been to doctors all over the place. And I'm, when I came to America, I was surprised that, um, you know, I go see a doctor, I see him for like 15 minutes and then I, I leave with a, a bag of, well, I didn't actually leave with a bag of prescriptions. I left with a, a um, laundry list of prescriptions that I could have taken. Um, and if I had have filled that, I would have filled like a shopping bag full. Um, and then it seems like a lot of the modern medical system doesn't really promote around, you know, promoting health. It's, it's a lot of it's like more reactive and treating system, treating symptoms. But then there's like a lot of other doctors who are actually like really promoting health. And it seems like there's a, a bit of a battle going on there. And I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts are on this. I don't know what um, like other doctors are experiencing with this. I have a few question marks there. I mean, what's your two cents on all of this? My experience, every doctor I've ever worked with or studied with, all of them did it because they wanted to help people. I don't know. In fact, when I, when I was first uh, thinking about going to medical school, my nephrologist, you know, because I talked to him about it. So besides the warnings around sleep and stress, he told me, listen, you can't get rich being a doctor anyway. You know, he's like, the heyday's over. We used to be able to do whatever we want, charge whatever we want. Insurance companies paid for everything. Nowadays, a nickel and dime us, you know, there, you can make so much more money doing something else. And I said, well, I'm not looking for the path to making money. I want it. My parents told me, do what makes your heart happy and you'll always be okay. No. So this, I, I felt driven to be, I felt like I was meant to be a healer and that's what I wanted. But when I went to medical school, that was the reality was, you know, you're going to work, you're going to work 
30 hour shifts, 80 hours a week. Well, all your friends have real jobs making money. I, as a resident, made 35000 a year. It, I couldn't even pay my own rent of my apartment without Tom's help because I was in L.A. <laughs> so, you know, um, the, it's not really the pathway most people would ever choose to become wealthy. Uh, there's so much better ways to do it. So I think that has actually uh, helped the medical world because I think back in the day it was considered that. Um, I, I think most people choose this path is because they earnestly want to make a difference and help people. Now, doctors are a victim of the system. We are trained uh, intensively, right? I mean, you get to medical school. I remember I clocked myself. I was reading 12 hours a day, just trying to study. And then you have a full day of classes, right? So it's an intense experience. And by the time you graduate, it's kind of drilled into your head. Like, this is what you need to know. How could there be more? If they're going to work us that hard, and then you're working in the hospitals and everything like that, if they're working you that hard, you believe they told you everything. Why would they work you that hard and leave anything out? And what they train us is in drugs and procedures, right? Um, surgeries and procedures and medications. That's what we learn. And back in the old days when I was a medical student, we didn't have uh, we didn't have these iPhone things. We had phones that were like flip phones. So there was no technology you could carry around. So we literally Text had it. the coats with the big pockets because you had to shove books in there. So yeah. I had to, I remember I had to memorize over 600 drugs a semester and memorize Whoa. in terms of what they do, 600? the side effects, the interactions, right? All of that had to go in here because we didn't, we couldn't just like look it up on our phone. So that was, we're full, we're brains full. So I don't believe I, I do not believe that any doctor is telling you to take meds because he'll make more money that way. And there's okay. this misconception that somehow we make money from prescriptions. We don't make money from prescriptions. I mean, uh, we mean we, we're paid for our time. You see me for an hour, you pay for an hour. What you do when you leave the office is up to you, but I don't get like a receipt from a prescription. Like, thanks for choosing You're my job. You're not getting job. like 10% for, that. yeah, Nothing. okay, gotcha. Nothing. Pay a doctor for their time. Now you were talking about a situation like if a doctor has their own MRI, Mm -hmm. then yes, you're paying him for your visit and you're paying him for the MRI. And I think maybe there is some haziness there. And again, I don't think it's intentional or conscious, but yeah, if you happen to have the machine and someone has some symptoms, like why wouldn't you use your machine? Um, I do have an issue with like a lot of nephrologists own their own dialysis unit. Uh, right? Like it would, if people start healing from kidney failure, like I've published cases of reversing end-stage kidney failure, getting someone off the transplant list using just nutrition, People are getting off the transplant list and they're not using dialysis. You got a big center open. There might be some conflict there. You know, again, I think it would be unconscious more than conscious. I don't believe that there are villainous doctors out there who want people to be sick. And what I've also found, um, like for me, you know, obviously when I found this pathway, there's nothing that would stop me from doing this. Like I, I always tell people, if, if I can get everybody to do this and doctors have nothing to do, I will be on a beach somewhere. Like I will find something else to yeah. do besides this. I'll find a new path. I'll do something yeah. else, right? So most docs are really interested and excited once they learn. I have taught a room once of over 600 healthcare professionals uh, who were on their feet. They, they gave me the only standing ovation of the night actually. Just, excited by what I was proposing because they were so thrilled to know that there was hope for these diseases uh, and so excited to take it home and put it into their practice. So most doctors who learn this are excited by it and want to incorporate it because they want their patients to get better. There's actually a very high rate of depression in doctors because they go into the field. I learned all this stuff. I'm going to save lives. No, yeah. you're going to see a patient for the rest of his life. 
right? Surgeons get to do that. They come in, they fix it, you leave and they're done. But, but rheumatologists, uh, primary care doctors, they're, they, they're, they don't have patients that leave their practice. Like rheumatologists are harder to see than I am because every person who joins their practice stays until death. Nobody gets better. Nobody leaves, right? So it's actually depressing for them that they just keep seeing the same people who are getting sicker and sicker and they feel so impotent mm. to make a difference. So I, I think they're victims of the system. Um, I didn't know until I started doing this work that there's pharmaceutical companies who pay medical schools. Um, I didn't know that the majority, actually pretty much all of the money that goes into medical research comes from pharmaceutical companies. Mm. Uh, so if drug companies are paying for the research, then all of the research is going to be about drugs. Yeah. Right? That's just how it works. People go, why don't you do a big clinical trial? Who's going to pay for it? How are we going to do this? Right. And I actually have been asked by some major universities that do this research to do clinical trials. Um, but there it's, it doesn't feel right. One of the things they want to do is they want me to teach their researchers my plan and then they'll do it themselves and publish it. I'm like, you want me to teach you a decade of experience and steal your content? <laughs> do it. No, well, I don't even care about that, but you're, you want me to tell a dietitian what I do for a decade and hope they do it right. As uh, in, okay. It felt to me like they wanted a reason to show it didn't work. And then they could go see, uh, just use the okay. that's what it felt like. Gotcha. I don't know if it was a piece, okay. but it felt kind of shady. Like, why wouldn't you let me like just you facilitate. Why don't you let me do the do the protocol, and yeah. then you have blind people who study the results. Right? It was they all of them had that same approach. Like you don't need to be a part of it. We'll just you know we'll just do it and then see. Meanwhile, that same place is making millions and millions of dollars every year from drug companies to study lupus. I'm like, so what are you gonna do if my if let's say you do it and it works? Are you gonna say stop all the rest of the drug research? We don't need it anymore because this diet works. What, then everybody loses their job. It's, it's just a weird, so the research world is very shady. And again, I think the people working in research think they're doing something important. Just like I think the doctors, the researchers, they all care about their work and they're trying to do good work. But the people who are the puppeteers are, are making money, right? So whether it's yeah. the pharmaceutical companies, which by the way, there's good products. I would be dead if it wasn't for pharmaceutical companies, right? Mm. I would have died at 16, kidney failure, done. Mm. So there's amazing research and products that come from pharmaceuticals. And I am an MD, I do prescribe medicines. However, I prescribe them as something we do now while we fix the cause and then you don't need them anymore versus for the rest of your life, you're gonna take this and then this is gonna cause this. So you're gonna also need this and then that's gonna cause this, so you're gonna need this and then you're on seven pills, right? So, you know, pharmaceuticals aren't a solution, they're a tool, but we are raised as physicians as here's your only tool. And, uh, and I think nowadays, especially as the internet and Netflix, there's documentaries and a lot of doctors have come to me where they started out with a, a documentary or something that made them go, wait, what? Mm -hmm. And then they started yeah. to learn more. So it is changing. It, it, there's a healthcare revolution that's happening. It's too slow for the people who are currently sick, yeah. but it is happening. And more and more doctors are embracing this or at least aware of it, you know, whereas like a decade ago, people would tell me that they found me online, but their doctor says it's nonsense. Whereas yeah. now, probably 25, 30, 40% of my practice is taking care of other doctors and nurses uh, and pharmaceutical salesmen. I have a pharmaceutical researcher that I'm treating. Uh, and you know, so, um, so a lot of people in the field come to me and I get referrals from them. Uh, and if not that, their doctor, they'll tell me, my doctor's so excited uh, that I'm working with you. They can't wait to see what happens. So really? it's shifting. That's There's awesome. still those that say it's nonsense, but it's shifting, you know? 
That's, that's awesome. And that leads me into my next question, which is kind of a two-part question. Like where, where do you think we are in 30 years? Number one, in the, in the medical system, do you think that a lot of these doctors are going to be going, jumping on board and going, Hey, wait up, you know, um, that there is alternative ways. And we're going to start like implementing a little bit of that along the way. And then two, um, where, uh, where's the American people going to be in 30 years? If you were to, you know, look through a crystal ball, I mean, do we have hope with our help and our diets um, or, I mean, what are you seeing? Are you seeing a lot of momentum in people really improving their health? Yeah. You know, um, change is slow. I, I often feel like uh, one of my jokes is that I'm like, I feel like the Bernie Sanders of the healthcare movement, you know, uh, and Bernie's from New York. So I, I used to have the accent and I, I worked hard on it when I was a kid because they made fun of me for it. Uh, but you know, where I'm like, it's, it's going to be a ground up movement. We're going to do it together, right? Like it's, it's slow. Like we have to do it as a people. It's not going to change from the top down. The mm -hmm. FDA is not going to change, uh, you know, hospital systems, all that stuff. It's us pushing upwards. It's people coming together saying we want better, right? Yeah. That, that's what pushes change always, right? And change is slow, but it's happening. I am seeing momentum. Like I said, a decade ago, every doctor was rolling their eyes. Now I'm the first person they seek because you know who doesn't like to take medicines? Doctors, yeah. uh, because they know exactly what's gonna happen. Um, yeah. I, I have, I always make fun of them. I'm like, you would tell your patient that they're non-compliant. You're not even getting your kidney biopsy. Why aren't you getting your kidney biopsy? You would make your patient do it and they go, cause then they're gonna give me chemo. I don't wanna take chemo. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, uh, so it is changing. And you know, I think the older ones might be a bit of a lost cause. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, they're not reading the newest research anymore. They're stuck in their ways. They've been doing things the same way for 50 years, 40 years, 30 years, hogwash, whatever, and that's it. And I've, I've run up against that where I've helped people who, um, you know, I had someone recently, she was pregnant and she, well, actually it's not even that recent now because she just had her next baby, uh, but she was pregnant at the time and had lupus and Sjogren's. And when she'd gotten pregnant before, she ended up in the ICU afterwards because she had these diseases. She was so terrified. So she'd read Goodbye Lupus. She got excited. She called me and she was four weeks away from her scheduled C-section. And in four weeks, we reversed her disease. Her dry eyes were gone. Her pains were gone. She'd been in bed four weeks ago. And two days before giving birth, she was running around in a park teaching her younger daughter, her other daughter, how to fly a kite. Right. Amazing. Had a healthy birth. And, uh, and she's doing great, right? So she's running 5Ks, pushing a stroller, doing great. And her doctor wouldn't take her off her medicines. And uh, she asked her doctor, why wouldn't you take me off the medicine? And he said, well, it looks like they just suddenly kicked in for some reason. She says, no, I, I've been on these medicines for four years, five years. They didn't suddenly kick in. I changed my diet. I started working with Dr. Goldner. I changed my diet. And he said, no, well, I know your labs are good and you feel great, but these diseases are incurable. So therefore, even though you don't feel like you have them, you still have them. So you should be on these meds forever because that's how we do it. So there's this like, there's a, there's a, a fritzing circuit, you know, these are incurable diseases. I learned this in medical school. Therefore, even if you don't look like you have it, you have it. It's this weird kind of thing where they just, you know, won't see what's in front of them. So she, she texted me, I'm, I'm banging my head here. I don't know what to do. He won't help me get off these meds. So finally I said, all right, go to a new doctor. You know, obviously he can't see, you know, cause usually doctors can see it like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. He, he couldn't see. 
So she went to a new rheumatologist who said, 100%, you should not be on these meds. You do not have lupus mm. or Sjogren's. And she goes, that's great. She goes, but because lupus and Sjogren's are incurable, that means you never had it. So for the past five years, all of your labs were just a mistake. Your symptoms, mm. you know, the rashes, the arthritis, the dry, the, it, it, you just never had it to begin with because they're incurable. So it was, it's this weird psychosis, you know? Yeah, and, and so wow. she, she called me, she goes, I don't know what to think. These are smart people. I said, well, it just shows you that even smart people have trouble being wrong. Uh, and, and they will make up really bizarre stories to stay right. Uh, but at least she's willing to take you off from your meds. So she actually just had another baby. And still, this is uh, about over three years out now, just had another baby, never relapsed, uh, healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, still doing well. I just presented on her at a conference. Um, but it's really, you know, it's one of those things where there are some people like that who, no matter how much evidence is in front of them, won't see. They just, they're, they're so ingrained in the system that even the evidence in front of them, they, they resist it, they can't see it. Uh, and then there's the, the rest. I mean, I just actually had an appointment with a rheumatologist who has lupus who came to me because one of her patients came to me and is now lupus free. And she said, what did you do? And she said, I went on Dr. Goldner's protocol. So she made her own appointment with me uh, to help herself. She's a rheumatologist, which That's means amazing. when she gets better, She's going to be fixing other people with lupus and, and rheumatoid arthritis. So, so I do have hope. Um, I, I know that the right thing will happen. It is happening. You can't suppress it, right? I mean, the internet is, is free here. And I, you know, all the people who are tagging me all over the place, I've never met them, right? Mm. And they're saying, I read this book and I'm drinking green smoothies and I have no symptoms anymore and this and that. So it, it's, it's got its own momentum. It's a growing movement. It will happen. Right. Uh, people in general have seen that plant based diets in long term studies are the only diets that have proven to create the dramatic health benefits and disease reversal that while short term, any severe change in diet can help you long term. There's nothing better. My new specific protocol of hypernourishment is just the optimal way to just douse yourself in nutrients that are going to create optimal health. But this is this is the progressive path towards that revolution we're looking for. You can't stop it. It's just how long it takes. And I know a lot of people are frustrated, but I mean, for me, what I've seen in my own short life is dramatic, right? I mean, over the past decade to have people change that much, you know, mm. even in terms of looking at people's diets, it used to be 1% of the population ate any kind of plant-based diet. That is, that is more than quadrupled in just the past yeah. couple of years. So it's, but it's still tiny. Right. And when we compound, we get exponential growth, though, and then it gets to a point where it just shoots through the roof. And I know, you know, you you left your medical director job to teach people how to heal. And um, you like you've started a movement of like helping heal people for you living the experience and teaching other people how to do it. But then you've been talking about this added element of now doctors are coming to you. And that's like a whole new thing. So like, was that something you anticipated? And is, is that something that you feel like you're going to put a little bit more energy into because that's got a whole lot of exponential growth through that path too yeah well yeah i've always been interested in educating doctors but yes whenever i teach doctors there's always people who raise their hand who are like i'm sick can you help me uh or my sister has lupus can you help her because they feel you know very inept at helping these diseases even the most highly trained people in these diseases don't know how to get rid of it right um yeah. but i but i know this i have this information so yes i i did believe that that doctors would eventually catch on i knew that that would be a difficult thing um 
And I mean, I've shared my personal lab tests with doctors before to show them like, look, look at this. This is, you know, so cool. because it's so difficult for them to, you know, for some of them and that, but the young people are different and gosh, I sound old saying that, but, um, but the young people are different. So people currently in medical schools right now, I, I just got interviewed last month by uh, two medical students, I believe in Australia. I'm trying to remember where they were. They had similar accents to yours, but they, uh, <laughs> for <laughs> please forgive my ignorance as an American, uh, but they, uh, they're medical students that started their own podcast on plant-based nutrition and disease. And they're still medical students and they each have That's their own awesome. Instagram and they have a podcast where they're interviewing experts in disease reversal and putting that out into the world. Uh, I was, I did a, a, a lecture at a medical school, Wayne medical school in Detroit, Michigan, where their teachers, they, the, the students started their own group and they, they took all of the research available in plant-based nutrition and disease. And they made a, a full chapter of information and they asked their medical school, can you start teaching this chapter? And the medical school said, no, because it's not on the boards, but how's it going to be on the boards if no one teaches it? So it's kind of a, you know, chicken uh, or an okay. egg thing. So yeah. they started their own group to teach themselves. And there is a big organization there that pulls in speakers. So whenever one of us goes there to speak to that organization, they say, Hey, while you're here, will you come to the medical school? Hell yeah. So oh, yeah. I went to the medical school and there was uh, 50 students there. All right. 50 is pretty good, right? Those are 50 healthcare practitioners going into the future. And, um, and I actually, and now they've actually instituted change where things are starting to be taught there. But I'm, I threw down the gauntlet for them. I said, now that you've learned from me, now it's gonna be your choice. Cause there's going to be a young girl that walks into your office one day who looked like I did when I was 16. And you're gonna have the choice between, here's your chemo, here's your steroids and yeah. uh, see you in dialysis. Or you're going to take the time to sit down with her family and you're going to teach her that there's a better way. It's on you now what mm. happens, right? And like they were, they, I mean, they were just stuck in their seats, but th it is changing. And there's mobile medical schools around the country now that are doing the same thing. So the people who are learning tend to be very open-minded because they're absorbing information, they're students, and they're trying to learn everything versus the older folks who are already kind of in the system and kind of stuck in their ways. So I think that those folks are going to be really pushing this change forward in a big way because it's real science. This isn't a religion. This isn't, you know, sometimes people will say like, oh, you know, it must be PETA. No, don't work for PETA. Uh, you know, like this is science. Yeah. This is actual, this is medicine. And uh, this is really practicing medicine in, in terms of helping people heal rather than just keeping them alive. Um, so it is changing. And I think that it's going to be exponential over time because of the young folks that are in school now that are really pushing the movement as well. And it's amazing that along with this prescription that you're giving for plant-based diet and, and green shakes and everything, that the side effects, uh, you will feel better. You will actually have more energy. Like these are the, these are the side effects, right? And oh, yeah. So yeah. Everyone who does my program also, they'll say, my friends keep telling me I'm glowing now. I'm like, yeah, that's the beta carotene glow. Because guess what? Your yeah. skin's an organ. And when you're yeah. really, really nourished, you can tell. <laughs> you can, and it that's, just kind of glows that, from you. That's something I'm noticing about you. Like I'm sitting here and looking at your skin and I'm just going, wow, you like, you really do have amazing skin. I was oh, going to say you. that before. Yeah, totally. <laughs> thank you. You know, it's like, especially in my forties, you know, I appreciate it uh, very much when people mis misjudge my age, um, you know, cause you go from looking good to looking good for your age as you get older. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you know, a lot of people I see also have lupus that's in their skin and they have these terrible rashes and they're disfigured. And, and so when those things go away, 
that, that changes their life. I mean, I had someone named David, uh, who I talk about in my classes. I, I, and he's in my book, Goodbye Autoimmune Disease as well. He had such terrible rashes and disfigurement that he couldn't get a job because nobody could even look at him. And his, mm. his skin was, he also, he had lupus scleroderma and Sjogren's. Scleroderma is, is an autoimmune disease where your skin hardens. It's like turning into to stone. And so all of his knuckles had broken open and you could see the bone in his knuckles. And then he would get infections to his bone. It was an extraordinary pain. Wow. And his doctors told him that the only thing they could do was amputate his fingers. So yes. he already can't, he's in his twenties. He already can't get a job because he's racked. Nobody can look at him. I mean, he's got his fingers mm. are infected, his face. And within a few weeks on my plan, his skin cleared up completely. His hands healed. He is Jeez. now, he just won um, a, a, <clears throat> an art show in a gallery in LA. Those fingers they wanted to amputate is creating winning artwork in galleries in LA. Uh, he yeah. works helping the homeless. Uh, he's, he's had such a full life all because he changed his diet. The best medical world could do was still keeping him in this sick role. So it's nice to have skin that has, you know, where you look younger and you're glowing and feel good. But for many people, that is life changing for them yeah. to be able to actually reverse the health of their skin. Wow. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And I really love what you're doing. I really respect this. You're changing so many lives. And I mean, you're out there, you're, you're doing documentaries, you're on the news, you're on the radio, you're doing podcasts. And so like, what's, what's the most exciting things that you're working on over the next 12 months? Oh, goodness gracious. Um, I'm always excited. Uh, I love, I love the fact that, I mean, especially since the pandemic, um, I'm doing, there's like three or four different news stations that call me as their first call whenever they have anything medical related. So that's been really, that's been really fun uh, and exciting for me because even if they're asking me stuff about, you know, how the immune system health and COVID, they're still kind of bringing people's attention to the fact that there's better ways to take care of yourself. So mm. I'm always happy for that. I love doing things like this, um, you know, because you don't know even one person who listens to this, who is sitting there right now on the edge of dialysis yeah. or something who heals. It's like best thing in the world. Um, I am getting the itch to write another book, which I'm trying to fight it because the idea is always fun. And then, and then it's finishing it. Um, <laughs> but I feel like I need, I need to write more specifically on the psychology of suffering and healing. And so Thomas and I have been talking about that, although I write a lot about it in goodbye autoimmune disease. Um, so yeah, that, those are the most, I mean, right now, the most exciting work I'm doing is the work I'm doing. Um, yeah. my rapid recovery group is the coolest thing in the world. Um, we're literally for six weeks, we get to help people learn how to live a happy, healthy life. Um, it's completely absorbing, uh, because we do 30 people at a time. And Thomas and I put our whole hearts into them and helping them get their health back. And we've had people like I had someone recently whose tumor markers went away for ovarian cancer by the five week mark. And that was wow. she wasn't even there for that. She was there for autoimmune disease, but she happened to have that. Um, people who literally uh, standing up out of a wheelchair for MS within weeks. Right. Um, lesions disappearing off their MRI that from MS. Um, people who are reversing things like kidney failure. Another person in my group had lupus in her brain, had three to four seizures a day, no seizures at all, was traveling before COVID, you know, around the world when she thought she'd never leave her parents' house again. Um, so to me, the most exciting thing in the world is the work I do. I, I just, I can't wait every day to get to it and to meet the next person that I'm going to inspire and excite and educate to get their health back. So um, it's just, that's, that is, that is what I live for. And, you know, there's a lot of folks out there who teach, you know, kind of plant-based nutrition and stuff like that, but they kind of have regular practices, but on the side, they write books about it. 
this is all I do full time is disease mm-hmm. reversal. And it's, uh, it's just, it's extraordinary and it's so uplifting and it just, I, I'm always in tears. I, I'm in tears with them when they come to me because I'm sharing their pain. And then I'm in tears at the end when they're feeling great. So um, yeah, I, that's, that is the most exciting thing to me is, is the work I do every day. And we can feel that passion. We can feel your passion. We can feel your authenticity. And it's, it's beautiful. It just glows for you. And um, it's you. infectious in, in an absolutely positive way. And so if for people to keep the conversation going and to find out more and to get their hands on your books and, and to be part of these courses that you're doing, what's the best way for people to keep in touch? Well, one, I, I'm constantly on social media, not because I love social media, but that's how we connect with people, right? Uh, so uh, on Instagram and Facebook, if you look up Goodbye Lupus, you'll find me. I post every day, uh, usually videos every day uh, to help inspire people and keep them focused. So I do a lot teaching nutrition, but also the emotional side of it. And a lot of people have told me that if it wasn't for my daily foot posts, they'd be off the rails again, but I keep them okay you know, inspired. So if you look up Goodbye Lupus on Instagram, Facebook, goodbyelupus.com is my website. And really, I mean, uh, it's called Goodbye Lupus because that was my first book. That's my story, but I help people with the whole spectrum of illness. So goodbyelupus.com. Um, there you can find my courses. Um, I make them free to the public on a regular basis. So uh, I don't know when this is airing, but it's this Saturday, but if not, usually every month or so, I make them free to the public. And then I do Q and A's to sandwich them to get people to do it, right? Like, yeah. it's like, do it now, come yeah. to the Q and A. Um, they're also available for people who want to purchase them and watch them over and over. And in fact, most people who buy them already came to the free ones like three or four times. And then they're like, I just want to watch them over and over again and, and keep learning. Um, so I have those there. Um, or if people want to do something like rapid recovery or do a consultation with me, my consultations are 75 minutes. Um, I actually get to know people and that's help them real. With- all the aspects of their life. 15 minutes, you barely even say your name. Um, so I work with people on everything, like what's their stress? Um, what are the things that set them up for their illness? And how do we actually create the life that they're looking for? And then I email them all my notes. They all get like five to 10 pages of my notes on all the things I want them to do to help them get to where they want to go. So yeah, goodbyelupus.com. You can see all of that. Um, for people who just want to, if you go actually, the other thing on my website is there's something that says free gifts. Click on that, you'll get my story, you'll get recipes and all sorts of stuff to get you started, the basics to the protocol, all stuff that you can uh, download and use right away to get you started. Excellent. And for everybody watching and listening right now, these links are actually going to be in the show notes, uh, whether you're checking this out on YouTube or your favorite podcast channel. And um, that's great. So many resources for people. This is amazing. And I know a lot of you out there are actually going to be reaching out to Dr. Goldner to continue the conversation here. And so thank you so much for being so vulnerable and being so authentic and so passionate and and sharing this story. Uh, I just really, really appreciate that about you. And for everybody listening right now, if you've got something out of this, make sure to subscribe to the channel, um, leave a review. And then also, you know, like if this is something you're, you're thinking of someone in your family or a friend that could benefit from this, please share this video with them. You can literally, literally save their life or change their life. Um, so, you know, make sure to spread the love out there. Brooke's doing everything she can too. So make sure you spread the love too. And with that, um, again, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Uh, This is Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And until next week, live large and live free.